0: As I was praying this week about the message in um, lining it up with the business meeting and kind of seeing if there's a correlation there, uh, the Lord began to work with me on two parables. And uh, Larry, if I could have my slides, please. The parables that we're going to talk about today um, talk about small beginnings and big endings. And, um, you know, it's not always how you start, it's how you finish, right? That's, that's really the theme of the message today. But the parables we're going to talk about are the parables of the mustard seed and the parables of the yeast. And these are found in Matthew chapter 13. If you want to turn to it, we're going to read it in a minute, Matthew chapter 13. But in these parables, both parables deal with the kingdom of God as seen by the world, a visible kingdom. Both of these parables have a positive and a negative lesson to be learned Both of these parables deal with quality versus quantity. And then both of these parables speak of the end as more important than the beginning. And I believe that we're going to pick up some good information out of these parables as we speak about them as we prepare for our meeting this uh, following. But let's turn in Matthew chapter 13 and beginning verse 31 and we'll read these parables and we'll talk about them. Matthew chapter 13, beginning at verse 31. Jesus said, he told him another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch in its branches. He told him still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast, that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your words. We thank you for the word of God that is so clearly written to us. And now we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would make it alive, that you would just uh, show us your author's intent, Lord, as we discuss this time now. And I pray that you would just uh, really uh, inform us and... Uh, Teach us so that we can apply your word in Jesus' name. Amen. So these parables obviously go together. And many interpreters um, see these speaking mainly of the growth and the influence of God's kingdom, which begins invisibly and ends visible. In other words, God begins in the heart or in the soil the heart of a man or in the soil of the earth, hidden from view, and then grows a small beginning, a small seed or a little amount of yeast on the, on the inside and he works out. He begins in the heart. He begins deep in the soil where it's not seen. It's not observable by the world and by the time he's done with it, it's very observable by the world. Others accept this these parables to a degree that describes them of how evil eventually evil eventually tries to work its way into God's visible kingdom and, what God, and, and, and not just work its way in, but to uh, destroy the impact of the work that's being done. So what is God's visible kingdom on, our, on earth? What is God's visible kingdom? Well, the visible kingdom is the church. That means it's you and I. We are the visible kingdom in Charlevoix of the church of God. We are part of that process. We're part of the kingdom. And we are what the world observes in us. So we're going to prove some valuable lessons today. And we're going to begin it by saying that it's not how one starts. It's how one finishes that counts. Think about that. Think about how many starts we have that never get finished. <laughs> anybody, anybody started a model airplane in their life and never finished it? <laughs> yeah, how many times have we started a painting and never finished it? You know, I mean, we start things and don't finish them. But I think that God has a very clear ending in mind of our lives when we start our walk in Christ. So what are some of the lessons of the parable of the mustard seed? Well, There's a great plant that grows from the small seed. This tiny mustard seed is planted in the ground and it grows to become one of the largest plants or trees in the garden. In fact, it's so large that it becomes a place of refuge for tired birds or nesting birds. That's one way to look at it. Or the other side of it, the other side of the lesson that we're going to talk about is that often in Scripture, the birds of the air that is referenced here, represent evil. They represent evil imposters who take away the seed of God's truth and they're they're attracted to the healthy plant, they're attracted to the big tree, they're attracted to healthy churches that offer them a platform of false teachings. Exactly, very similar to what Pastor Rip was talking about. And slowly they steal the truth of God's word and they twist it into something that benefits them in the process. That's the parable of the mustard seed. And we'll come back and talk more about that. But what about the parable of the yeast? If they go together, what is this talking about? Well, on the positive side, the yeast in the parable can refer to the powerful, the powerful influence of God's working in the life of a person, like I said before, beginning on the inside. See, we don't have to come to Christ all cleaned up and fixed, right? No, we come to Christ broken. We come to Christ in the messes of life. And then he then begins to work from the inside out to clean us up. That's powerful. That's amazing, actually, that God does that. We often get it mixed around a little bit. But the, the negative side or the lesson to be learned from the parable of the yeast can be, can be regarded as in the Old Testament perspective that yeast represents the presence of evil or corruption that causes something to ferment or to become corrupt. I'm not going to go there. In the New Testament, the yeast represents false teachings. And hypocritical lifestyles of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the other religious leaders of the day. Paul considered yeast to represent malice and wickedness. And the absence of yeast or, uh, represents sincerity and truth. So we can learn lessons from both the negative and the positive of both of these parables. Because both of these, if on the, the, the warning side is that both of these warn the church to be careful because deception can come slowly and subtly into the church. What started out small and grew into something eternally significant can be sidetracked and taken off course if we're not diligently being careful about what we allow into our teaching. You know what I'm talking about when I say that—that that how something that can be subtly just off the mark a little bit. We were we were putting a dock in uh, this weekend at, uh, at, at Dino's place, and and uh, so I was there when they were doing it. And you know, it's not a real long dock; it's only a couple hundred feet. But you know, if you don't get the dock started off in the right direction really can veer off and really get in not where you want it to be and so I'm working with these guys and and you know I said move it over just a little bit just I mean we're talking fractions inches but the first section in in and you know it that, that it doesn't take much of a of an get off that angle and the first section and by the time you get to the 20th section your feet off I mean multiple feet so it's very important that we keep our direction clearly marked out at the beginning in the small things because it's the small directional changes that happen that can get us off course really fast and really a long ways off so that's why we have to be careful about the little things that we allow into our life into our teaching that we don't allow them to sidetrack us or distract us or get us off course just a little bit here will be a way off course down the road and i think we all know what that means Remember, it's not how we start, it's how we finish. And it's also important for us to recognize that we're not alone in the battle. That God didn't start us off in the battle and say, good luck, hope you get there. No, the Holy Spirit was sent to be our advocate, our paraclete, our counselor, our guide, right? And, and we are only as good as we allow him to be in our life. Just recognize that. We're only as good as we allow the Holy Spirit to come in and give us wisdom and direction. If we think we can do it on our own, you're going to be off course here very quickly and a long ways off. So that's why the Holy Spirit must be a part of your life on a daily basis. So let's go back for a minute. Let's just look quickly at the progress of the early church for a minute. How did it get started? You see, the, the church began with Jesus making a statement. The church began with Jesus making a statement. What was that statement he made? Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 through 19. This is Jesus speaking. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, we'll talk about the rock in a minute, and on this rock I will build my church. See, it's Jesus' idea. The church isn't Peter's idea. It's not my idea and on this church i will build on this rock i will build my church and the gates of hades will not overcome it i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven so understand here that the rock that jesus is speaking about is not peter some look at this and they misunderstand the verse and They're thinking that Jesus is saying, Peter, you're the rock, and I'm building my church on you. No, he's not. The rock that he's referring to is himself. Jesus Christ is the rock, and Peter is a little stone. He's the little rock that is going to be part of the building process, and not just him, but his disciples, all of the disciples along with Peter. And so the church, then, is built on Jesus and even though that the church or the, the, the world rejected Jesus, that God still decided that, that was the plan. And Peter goes on to describe us now. It's interesting that Jesus is talking to Peter about the church. And then Peter comes to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, and he clarifies it for us again. This is what Peter says. He says, as you come to him, Who's him, the living stone, who is Jesus? When you come to Jesus, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there is Peter, again, clarifying in case anybody misunderstood it. Peter says, I'm not the rock. Jesus is, and we're little rocks, we're little stones that we make up the body of Christ. Do you see the connection here between Christ being the rock and you and I being the little stones that continue to build the church? We are part of the building process. We are actually the visible part of the church. So what we do... Or what we don't do impacts the growth of the church. We can be hypocritical or we can be true. We can be an attractive part of the church or we can be an unattractive part of the church depending on how we act, depending on what we say, depending on how we live. You see, the church that started out with a statement made by Jesus to his 12 common, uneducated, rough, gruff men that were not religious. These were fishermen and workers, tax collectors and such. Jesus chose those 12 men to become the largest movement in all of history. Understand how small that began. You know, he didn't pick the Pharisees. He didn't pick the religious leaders. He didn't pick the educated. He picked the uneducated. He picked the weak, and he picked the frail, and he picked the evil people. I mean, Matthew was not a liked man in the Jewish religion or the Jewish faith or the Jewish community. He was a traitor to the Jews because of a tax collector that he was. But yet Jesus took these 12 men. Talk about something small to become the largest movement in all history. In fact, according to words-rated Words website, that there are over 6 billion Bibles currently in print. 100 million are printed every year. Think about that. Now, there are other religious texts out there as well. For example, the Koran. There's only 800 million copies of the Koran and only 190 million books of Mormon. I mean, that's a lot, but not even close to six billion Bibles. The Bible is the most widely printed and read book in the world in all history. That's amazing, isn't it? That it is that popular, but yet, I wish it was that well applied. But I want to go back and let's talk about the parables a little bit more. I, I just wanted to show you the example of how God can start off with something small and build something huge, and we're a part of it, right? But let's talk about these parables a little bit more. The first meaning of the of the, of the the um, parable of the uh, mustard seed is that we often like to think and see how large and significant God's kingdom is, and we like to think of it as at least the carnal Christians, or even, we all like to think of it, I think, that it means that all of our loved ones and friends are, on, are in this kingdom when they are on their way to heaven. I mean, that's what the world likes to think about. I mean, it's, it's the whole thing about the, 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 the inclusiveness of the God's word is that all people will receive Jesus and all people go to heaven. And that's what we want, right? I mean, none of us want our friends to go to hell. We all want people to think about that. We all want people to understand that. But there's something more sinister (laughs) about these parables that we must also understand. And as we look at the mustard seed parable, we must recognize that, yes, it began as the smallest seed and grew to be the largest plant in the garden. It was so large that it attracted the birds that perched in its branches. And at the outset, we think, oh, that's great. Look at how we're providing a resting point for those tired birds. We're providing a place for them to build their nests. We're providing them an opportunity to perch on our nice big tree branches. Doesn't that sound great? But when we dig a little deeper into this parable, we find that the birds there that are being referred to are things not so good. Not so good. My Bible commentary said it this way. The visible kingdom of God's great size and influence also attracts The birds of the air, which are really evil impostors, who take away the seed of God's truth. Who take away the seed of God's truth. They're not there just to rest. They're there with something more sinister in mind. Go to the parable of the soil that Jesus spoke about in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, verses 3 and 4. Jesus said, "He he told him many parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. And then Jesus explains this passage to his disciples in, in Matthew 13, verses 18 and 19. And Jesus says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does, and, excuse me, and does not understand it, the evil one snatches it away, what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. So these birds that we're referring to, to, who are they? What are they? Well, the birds of the air represent the flesh man, that carnal nature inside of us, and also the demonic spirits that are constantly stealing the truth of God's word that is trying to be planted in our heart. You come in, you listen to a good message, you listen to a good podcast, a good pastor online, a good teacher, and the enemy's right there trying to pluck it away from you. Before it settles in, he's trying to distract you or, or, or twist it into something different than what it's supposed to be. And what Jesus is really saying here, what he's really describing here, is an incomplete spiritual conversion that happens in many people based upon a compromised gospel message that offers a salvation without the need for complete surrender. Listen to me. Let me say that again. That, that this, un, this incomplete spiritual conversion is based upon a compromised gospel message that offers a salvation without a complete requirement for surrender and commitment. See, a person may hear the message of the gospel, but they can hear only what they want to hear and accept what they can live with that doesn't change their lifestyle and still believe that they're a Christian. Hear me. That it takes a complete surrender. Without a complete surrender, they aren't genuine believers and they're falling short of God's holy standards. Can I just say that? I have to say that. That without a complete surrender to God's word, we're not complete in our salvation. We might have started off, but we're not complete in it. And over time, these uncommitted believers become positioned in the church. And they become a leader. And maybe even teachers. And maybe even pastors. And once this happened, churches are planted And some grow rapidly based on the false teaching that they promote of easy Christianity that requires nothing of the person. Bible passages are picked and chosen that fit their strategy, that fit their agenda, that support an unbiblical lifestyle. And many people are led astray by well-intentioned pastors and leaders and teachers thinking that they are loving the people By not presenting them with the truth of God's standards. Because the truth of God's standards appear to be too hard. Amen? Do we see it happening around us? You know, I I had a conversation with a gentleman this week. And um, talking about a church here in the community, actually. And uh, let me just say this. We are an open church, but we are not an affirming church unless you come in with a godly standard. Anyone can come to this church. We invite anyone to come to this church. I don't care what lifestyle you're in. We invite you to come to this church. But when you come, you're going to hear truth. You're going to hear an uncompromised truth of God's word that proves the fact that we really love you. Because if I give you anything other than the truth of God's word, I'm more afraid of you than I am of your ending and your relationship with God at the end of your life. Does that make sense? So this gentleman was saying that, you know, um, they're getting quite a new, some new people coming into the church, but with them is coming a, a bunch of different philosophies. Wow. Okay, how do you deal with that? Well, you deal with it with by truth. <laughs> you deal with it by telling the truth. I, I, I don't um, I, I mean I appreciate conversations. I appreciate good, good conversation and good even debates. But I have to end on I have to land in the truth. I, I can't compromise with someone um just because I don't want to lose a friendship or I don't want to risk offending anybody. Because these half hearted spiritual commitments result in the failure of the church to teach an uncompromised truth of God's word. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Remember, we talked about holiness. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without holiness, you will not see God. Because God is holy and he requires Holiness. And so what's happening here is that there's a problem happening and many don't see it as a problem because they see it as, oh, I love people enough. I love people so much I don't want to offend them. I don't want to chase them out of the church. I want to be careful with them. You know, sometimes we need to chase the birds out of our branches. Seriously, think about it. Sometimes there's, there, are, there are birds hanging around us that are not of God. And sometimes we need to chase them out. And say, no, I'm not going to allow that in my mind. I'm not going to allow that in my teaching. I'm not going to allow that influence to come in. I'm, I'm welcome to, I'd love to share you with the truth of God's word. And, and yes, you can come in, but you're not going to roost here. You're not going to take root here. Because then we're protecting, we're guarding the flock, we're guarding, we're testing the spirits. Rip, you were right on, man. You didn't even know we were talking about this today, but you were right on that we have to test the spirits to see if they're of God or not of God. And if it's not of God, we don't deal with it, we don't play with it. We love the person, we love the people, we're not angry. We just aren't compromising because God's word is truth. And that's what we're going to stand on. So these churches are failing in their responsibility because they're failing to communicate Christ's message thoroughly and completely. They're failing to tell the truth about the commitment God requires to live a a life based on God's holy standards. Think about that. They're failing by giving the impression so as not to offend anyone that requires them to make a decision of, comp- of, of commitment and, and sacrifice to live for Christ. And we try to make it easy for them because we don't want to put them under too much duress. I mean, I'm not a str- I don't like stress. I don't like strife. I don't like, I don't like confrontation. But if we love people, we have to deal with it. We have to put the confrontation out and let them deal with it. Let them wrestle with it. They have to wrestle with it, not me. We must prepare the new convert about the new life that they are embarking on. You have to tell them, listen, God's grace is free. Salvation is free. No question about it. Nothing you can do to earn it. But if you're going to maintain it and if you're going to live in it, it's going to cost you all you have. It's going to cost everything. You're going to have to give up your life to receive Christ. But there's nothing you can do to earn it on your own. So it's a free gift. But if you're going to maintain it and live in it, it's going to cost you everything that you have. And here's the thing, guys. You're going to be happy about it. This is not, <laughs> this is not a socialistic approach. <laughs> God will not take things from you not to give you more back. The more you give to him, the more he's going to give to you of fullness and peace and happiness and satisfaction and pleasure and joy. You cannot outgive God in your pocketbook or in your heart. The more you give to him, the more he's going to give back to you. It's a great trade. Another area the church is failing in is is that they don't stress the need for spiritual discipleship after a conversion experience. We don't stress the need to be discipled. You know, sometimes I feel, and maybe you feel like I get on a soapbox about Wednesday nights. But guys, listen. Wednesday night Bible teaching is really important. It's important for you to be there. It's important for you to learn what we're talking about because we can't teach it all on Sunday morning. In fact, we can't even teach it all on Wednesday night. <laughs> but we have to do something. It is a form of discipleship. It's a form of how we can reach out to help you build your life. And yeah, we have a variety of topics we talk about on Wednesday nights. It's not just a, a boring Bible study. We, I, What I do on Wednesday nights is I try to reach out into, we have such a, variety of good influences on um, right now media. And there's so many other good Bible teachers out there that we use, that we watch videos, we talk about them, and we're trying to get other words. See, I know you get tired of hearing me. I know that. And I'm okay with that. But man, there is James Dobson and, our, and, there, and there is Jimmy Evans and there's so many other good voices out there that are speaking and we're trying to educate, we're trying to disciple, we're trying to inform, and we're trying to encourage you to come out and be part of it. And if you're not doing it, you're missing out. We're trying to help you keep connected. But that's not all there is to it. We also are encouraging you to do your own Bible study. Do your own praying. Have your own worship time throughout the week. You see, we need this, and we need spiritual accountability to help keep us on that narrow road because it's too easy for us to widen the boundaries if we're on our own. It's too easy for us to justify our behaviors if we're by ourselves. It's too easy for us to get distracted by the cares of this world, not even the bad cares, just the good cares, we get too easy to get distracted if we don't have someone to help us stay accountable to God's word. Listen, this is the, one of the most important things that I can ever say. Saying the prayer of repentance is not the end of Satan's attacks. It's just the beginning. Listen, if you've said the prayer, if, you, if you've actually... Ask for repentance and forgiven, and and ask Jesus to forgive you for your sin. You have just started the battle of your life. You've just started the battle because at one time, before, prior to that moment, you were on Satan's team. You were on his side, and he wasn't going to make maybe make life easy for you, but he certainly wasn't going to to overly stress you out to make you want to give up. Right? You might have your own thoughts. You might have your own problems because of your own bad choices. But once you accept Jesus, understand what you've just done. You've traded teams. You've gone over to the other side, and Satan wants you back. And he's going to do anything he can to try to tell you that Christianity is not for you, that you can't work it out, that it's too difficult, it's too hard, it's not good, it's not attractive, whatever. And he's going to do everything he can to try to win you back into his team. So understand that you're going to be attacked. And I think that's one of the most confusing points to people that get saved is they think, well, now that I'm saved, life is going to be easy. I'm telling you, it's not. No person will go unnoticed or unattacked by Satan if there is a true conversion experience. If you're truly committed to Christ, anticipate it. Know what's coming and be prepared for it. But if you're just a, a player, if you're just a poser, then maybe life's going to go great for you. I don't know what's going to, how it's going to end up, but I know the enemy is not going to attack you as much as if you are a true believer. So, Pastor Rip, you said it right again. If you had a tough week, rejoice. Rejoice because you are on the right side and the enemy's just trying to get you back. Rejoice. Amen. Now, why am I stressing this point? I'm stressing it because we're living in the day and age that the enemy is truly roaming about, seeking to destroy and devour everyone he can. That's his strategy, to deceive, distract, destroy. And we are, no qu- we, are, we are right in the middle of the fight, guys. We're right in the middle of the good fight. So we need to maintain that position. We need to maintain our position here. This is not the time to give up. This is not the time to get tired and say it's too much. I'm going to go to the other side. I can't handle this. And so I want to just summarize this briefly here so we can move on. But I want you to understand very clearly that my perspective as a pastor is to focus on the standards of God's holiness in everything I preach and teach. Everything I preach and teach and what Pastor Rip does and Pastor Leland when he preaches, everything about this church is about God's holiness and his standard. Amen. And I know other pastors may have a different viewpoint. They may spend more time on social issues, prosperity teaching, how to be fulfilled and happy in this life, and so on. And those aren't bad. I'm not saying those are bad things, but I'm just not saying that they're the most important things. And we don't have time not to be focusing things on the most important things. Time is coming to an end, guys. Critical times we're living in right now. Just look around. Look at the prophecies being fulfilled. I firmly believe we are the last days. We are in the end of the last days. I firmly believe that. And we don't have time to be messing around here trying to be political advocates. I'm not saying we shouldn't be a good, politi- or a good um, a steward. I'm not saying we shouldn't be a good patriot. I'm saying we should, absolutely. But this is not our home. We're journeying through this home to the next home that's eternal. And I hope that makes sense. So let me just say, whenever you leave church on Sunday mornings, this is my prayer. My prayer is that you are well-fed and sweaty. I mean, I, I want you to be stressed a little bit. Seriously. I want you to be challenged a little bit. I want you to be pulled a little bit into more godly directions than you were when you came in. See, some pastors preach and they want you to feel good about yourself. They want, he wants you to feel you know, good so you can go out and conquer the world this week. And, and I'm not against that, but that's not my goal. My goal is to preach God's standards and to challenge us all, myself included, are we living by them? Are we living by the standards of God's word or are we compromising it so that we can feel good about ourselves in our compromised position of life? Hmm. I want you to feel good about the way you leave because you're feeling good because you were exercised spiritually. Let me give you an example. You see, I go to the club every so often. I'd like to say I go every day, but I don't. But most of the time, when I go to the club, I, I work up a good sweat. I get on the elliptical machine, you know, thirty minutes, and I, I get working out, and I get a good sweat going, and uh, and then it then I go over to the weight machines, and I and I pump some iron. You can tell I pump a lot of iron. Um, I know you can tell it. Um, you know, and, and what and what I've done, I feel the burn. I, I feel I, I feel that what I've done. I feel my muscles being worked a little bit harder and and a little bit better than what they were when i came in but there are times though when i go to the club and i don't complete the workout there are times though that i go and i might do my elliptical but by the time i get on the weight machine i get my phone and i start looking emails next thing you know i'm sitting on that weight machine not doing anything and i sit there for 15 minutes and i haven't pushed one weight and i thought well, i got to go now so i take in the shower and what have i done i haven't completed the workout I haven't really done myself much good. I went to the club, right? So I could tell my wife, hey, Chris, I went to the club today, (laughs) but I didn't leave sweaty. So therefore, I didn't accomplish anything. And sometimes we come to church that way. Hey, I went to church this week, but I didn't leave sweaty. I didn't leave with a challenge. And you know what? Ultimately, I don't feel good about myself. In the moment, it feels good not to work out. I, it, it's kind of funny because I'm sitting here and I think, oh, I got to go, so oh, I got out of this one. I go, I go take a shower, but I don't feel good about myself because I didn't complete the workout. And that's kind of what I want church to be like. I hope you understand my heart on this. I, I'm not an angry person. My face may look like it sometimes, but I'm not. Seriously, I'm not. I'm a happy person. I just don't have a smiley face. Some people just are smiley all the time, right? Sorry, i just not. But I'm a joyful person because I know where we're going. And, and, and I'm, I'm excited about church. I'm excited about what we do. I'm excited about worship. I love our worship. I love our prayer times. I think that we are a church that is a very uh, visible um, and pleasing to the Lord church. Are we perfect? Absolutely not. But I think that we're pleasing, and I think that that's that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to promote here growth, spiritual growth. Yeah, I'd love to have greater numbers, but so what? I'm not worried about that. I'm worried about spiritual growth. I'm worried about you. I want everyone here. Listen, I want everyone here to go to heaven. And I know there are people in churches that aren't going to go to heaven. I know that but I want everyone sitting in this ministry. When the rapture comes, I want this church empty. I don't want anybody sitting in the pews, looking over at those empty clothes over there. There was a person sitting. I want everyone, without exception. That's why we teach. That's why we preach. That's why we pray. That's why we worship. Pray with me. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that you hear our hearts. Lord, it is not how we start, it is how we finish. And we are inviting you, Holy Spirit, to be our finisher. Lord, help us finish strong. Help us, Father, to do all things right, to do all things well. God, that we could be pleasing in your sight in all areas, and all things. Work us out, Holy Spirit. Stretch us. Help us to feel what you would have us to feel. Help us to know what you would have us to know and help us to apply it in the name of Jesus so that we can truly be the visible church in this community and that we can be attractive to those that are looking, that are looking for truth and help us to be loving to people. I just welcome you, Holy Spirit, in every aspect of our life, every aspect of this church, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.